You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called A Beacon of Light, a case study of Hezekiah. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings is where we're going to be at tonight. We're going to continue our series in A Beacon of Light as we study this guy named Hezekiah, who there was no other king like him. And uh, on the back table as well, when you sign up the community group, there is this reading plan. And what we're doing as far as our discipleship and for you to get a better comprehension of the Bible and study, because, you know, even though you guys think I speak a long time, there's a lot more to say with this guy Hezekiah. But we're taking eight weeks and there's a lot of scripture in the Bible. And so what I've done is I've organized this scripture reading plan during the week. And this will be helpful because during community groups, we can talk about it, ask questions, dive in deeper. But we actually has said, hey, read all these sections about Hezekiah. And then we'll come together on Sundays and we'll have a message. Tonight's focus is going to be worship. It's going to be worship, how Hezekiah worships. We just got in the introduction last week about who this Hezekiah, who this guy is. I want to say man, but when he became a king, he was only 25 years old. And he was a guy in a time of a dark culture. Now, we know his father last week, Ahaz, was the king before him, and it was a very wicked time. This is why in the reading plan this week, uh, I... I had you read a minor prophet, Hosea. Minor, minor meaning just a smaller prophet, not a, a longer chapter book, okay? But the significance is important because Hosea was a book that actually was addressed. It says, you write, this is the words of the Lord that came in, uh, to Hosea, the son of Bera, the days of Uziah. No, that's not right. One of those names, Jotham, Ahaz, that's our character we learned last week, and Hezekiah, okay? So... Uzziah, that's his name. He's the grandfather of Hezekiah, Jotham, Ahaz, our great-grandfather, Ahaz, and now Hezekiah, king of Judah, in the day of Jeroboam, the son of Josiah, the king of Israel. So what I want you to see as we study along, especially in this reading plan, is where God has sent prophets in this time of history in the nation of Israel. You have kings that focuses a lot on Israel because the nation split about two 150 years ago, from Solomon's sons to the, ten, the 12 tribes went to the 10 tribes of Israel and then the two tribes, Judah, primarily in Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah is the king in Judah, okay? And Hezekiah has a lot of prophets that God has sent. And if you've read the book of Hosea, and if not, you could read it this week. Hosea is a book where it's like a love letter and God's mercy shown to his people. He tells this prophet to, to go and marry an unfaithful woman and to keep on forgiving and to keep on loving him and to keep on serving him. And that is a picture of the heart of God in this dark, troubled day. And you're going to see, I think it was 722 uh, BC, the nation is about to be split and broken apart when Hezekiah is the king. And so that's where we find ourselves at Today, we're going to read 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. And this is the beginning of his reign. It's going to just focus on uh, worship. And I'm going to have Jason come up and share on the topic of worship and what the significance is. Because Jason is an excellent Bible teacher and a great worship leader. And I was like, man, you see the contrast in this text of the nation of Israel worshiping idols and the results? 
and you see Judah and specifically Hezekiah worship God and the results. And that's where we find ourselves in the series. You guys with me? Was that a pretty good summary? I didn't want to throw you up. and you know, just throw you out there and just, you know, oh, what's happening? Oh, okay. That's where we're at. Carrie is going to pronounce some, mispronounce some words now. This is going to be awesome. So Hezekiah worships 2 Kings verses 1 through 12. Be with us, my man. Bless us. I know. All right, 2 Kings 18, 1. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Allah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had offerings to it, had made offerings to it. It was called Nahashthan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him whenever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Astria and would not serve him. He struck down the Palestines as far as Gaza and its territories, from watchtower to fortified city. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, <clears throat> which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Allah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up, uh, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of the three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of, Assy of Syria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Halah on the Habor, the river of Gozan, in the cities of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of their Lord, their God, but transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, uh, servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the time that we have up here. We thank you for the fellowship that we do have the ability to get together. Um, we ask that you please bless Jason and his words. Allow him to be a conduit for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. That was some of the smallest lettering up there. Can you guys read that? Yeah. Oh. Come on, man. Maybe, maybe boost that font a little bit. I only say that because I have to use reading glasses to read now. Hey, so uh, great to see you guys again. Uh, last time I was here in October, got to just give you an update about the ministry and what was taking place, something very passionate. And now here we are, and I get to share uh, another thing that is very, very, very passionate and near and dear to my heart. It's this area of worship. Um, you know, worship is a powerful, powerful thing. How many of you, you just, you love worship? You love times like we had uh, a little bit ago. 
Um, I love it. I think there is tremendous um, power in worship. I, I think it's, it's incredibly um, moving. How many of you have uh, been moved before in worship? We'll, be, we'll get a little honest here. How many of you have cried before in worship? I have wept. I have wept leading worship. Uh, last time I was up here when I was speaking at, uh, uh, at uh, Proclaim Church, I was sobbing and weeping during worship, um, and they were actually singing that song, Do It Again. And you're just listening to the words, you know, your promises are there, you know, um, I, I believe in you, I'll do it again, I'll see you do it again. It's, it's just powerful. And let me ask you guys this. When you think of worship, what, what are some of the, let, let's do like the top five things. When you, when you hear the word worship, what do you think of? Just shout it out. What's that? Praise. Okay. Praise. What else? Community. Okay. What else? Music. Singing. Thanking God. Okay. Yeah, sure. Vent it. Yeah, I mean, you can vent during worship, I think. Uh, you, uh, the most of these things that we just mentioned have to do with song and praise and singing and reflection. And so some might look at this passage, the first 12 verses of, Hez of, of 2 Kings 18, and say, what in the world does this have to do with worship? And I see some heads moving, yes. So that's good, because we're going to talk about what it means in regards to worship. This is something that is very, very near and dear to my heart and passionate because uh, I have been doing music since I was a kid, since I was 11 years old. Uh, we had, I'm going to go old school on you guys. Uh, well, I'm 42 years old. I was 11 years old. We had a family band. Uh, we were like the Partridge family. Uh, my dad played. How many of you know the Partridge family? Yeah, some of the teenagers, they do not know what that is. It's phenomenal music. Go look it up. My dad played guitar, my mom sang, my sister played piano, my brother played drums. My dad was like, we need a bass player. You want to learn bass? I was like, sure. I was 11 years old, 11 to 12 years old, learned how to play bass. We had a family band. We practiced. We argued. We fought. Uh, we, we toured. We, we played concerts. We played uh, retreats and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. We made, uh, you ready for this? We made cassette tapes. No CDs. Cassette tapes. We made two tapes. Uh, now I, I, we we still have these, and I, you know you've you've got to search around to try and find a tape player because you can't play this stuff anywhere because uh, those things are hardly in existence anymore. Uh, and so we did music, and then I taught myself how to play guitar, and then we had a youth group band, and then uh, things got a little more, a little more. Um, uh, I guess, intense in regards to touring and traveling and, and playing with different groups. And I, I've been able to travel uh, the world doing music and playing festivals and playing with a lot of incredible Christian artists. And uh, so music is really, really important to me. And I think in some regards, music and worship became an idol. And that's why this, this passage of Scripture is very much about worship. In fact, 
I would even say that it is probably about the greater aspect of worship that has nothing to do with singing and praise and song. It has something to do with, uh, with something greater and something deeper. And, and uh, I'll share a story with you because I experienced this firsthand. And I thought about this when I was watching. I, I, I saw uh, Daniel did, uh, someone posted a video. It's probably you posting videos of yourself. I'm just kidding. Robin did. Robin took a video of Pastor Daniel uh, uh, doing worship at the conference center in Austria. Did you guys see that little video? If you follow Daniel, you don't have to say if you follow him or not. We, will, we won't. Yes. So you guys saw it. Or maybe not. Anyway, there is a video on Facebook. And I was watching this, and it's, it's a Pastor Daniel singing a song. It's so great. They're, I don't even know what song they were singing. You get to hear people. And as I was looking at this, and I was reminded of that stage where literally... Uh, 20 years ago, I was on that same stage area in that room in the castle. I spent eight and a half months living in Europe. I did a semester of Bible college in Hungary, and then I did the summer of service uh, in Austria. So I was a little jealous that these guys got to go there and a conference and seeing uh, some friends and students that I went to school with. Uh, at Bible college, who are now pastors and serving in the ministry. And as I was watching this little short clip and listening to worship, I thought back to where I was at in my life in regards to worship. And here's where things were at. I was leading worship probably eight to ten times a week between um, the chapel services services, and the devotionals and the missions teams that were coming and singing at weddings. And I'm, I was just singing like crazy. And I was exhausted. I was so tired of leading worship. And I will never forget, I, I woke up one morning for, for staff and team devotions. I was walking down from, from my, my room. I had my guitar, and I, there were, everything in me was trying to figure out how I can get out of leading this worship set. Nothing in me wanted to sing that morning. And I was walking, and my, my dear friend, uh, Tim, who served uh, on the mission field in Croatia for a very, very long time, he must have saw that I looked depressed or there's something wrong because he came up to me. And he's like, bro, what's going on? And I was like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Do you want to lead worship for me? <laughs> like, I do not want to play another worship song. I don't want to sing. I don't want to play. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I especially don't want to sing any of the songs that we have been singing over and over and over and over again. Now, at that time, 20 years ago, those songs were, I can only imagine, and light of the world. Here I am to worship. And they'd come out and every, every let's, do this, let's do that one again. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to. I'm tired of singing light of the world. And I will never ever, ever forget what my friend Tim to me, my friend Tim said to me. He turned to me and he said, Jason, let me ask you something. 
He said, when is the last time, instead of singing that song, that you actually read through and thought about what that song is saying? And that stuck with me. That hit me like a ton of bricks, and it is, it, it is still true for me today. Because listen, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. You're all together worthy. You're all together wonderful to me. Isn't that amazing? Now, we didn't sing that. And I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. And as I thought and looked at that song that way, that is still, to this day, one of my favorite worship songs. How have we gotten to a place, how did I get to a place where I grew tired of saying, you're all together lovely, you're all together worthy, you're all together wonderful to me? And that revolutionized worship for me. And it had nothing to do with song and singing. And I think that there is this huge misinterpretation of what worship is. Now, please, please don't get me wrong. What took place here earlier and the worship and corporate singing and all of that, it is very wonderful and it is very biblical. I think probably one of the most profound worship sessions or times together was when Nehemiah, when they finished the wall and he lined the wall with choirs and they were playing lyres and harps and words I don't even know that are probably the coolest, strangest looking musical instruments that I hope are in heaven so I can play one of those things. It was probably this joyful, incredible noise and shout of praise and declaration. We look at revelations. We look at what is going to be taking place in heaven when we go. So listen, that aspect of worship, I am not saying that that is not important. It is incredibly important. What I am simply saying, and I think what Hezekiah is doing here, there's an aspect that needs to take place before our singing. And when that happens, it transforms us, and therefore it will transform our worship. One of the things that I have seen in the years of pastoring before going down to Mexico and even being down there, there is a huge emphasis, especially in the church, there is a huge emphasis on singing and, and worship. Even to the point where there is the, the worship time is this huge chunk, and then there's a little bit of time to get into the Word. You guys know what I'm talking about? And we have worship conferences, and we have worship albums, and we have worship services, and we have worship nights. I'm so thankful that you guys have prayer nights. But let's be honest, those aren't as popular as worship nights. Would you agree? I mean, if you say to people, hey, we're going to pray for three hours. Come on out. Oh, got to get the kids to bed. I got to work early tomorrow. But if you say, hey, we're having Phil Wickham coming in, and we're doing a worship night, I'll be there. Only three hours. Can we keep going? And then you get there, and the worship's going, and the music's going, and the, these cool thing, light things are going, and, and everything's going, and you're flowing, and you just feel this. And, and then you leave out just this incredibly 
filled and encouraged. But listen, I truly believe that you can leave just as filled and encouraged from a prayer meeting. I'm seeking the Lord, praying, getting on our knees in, in repentance. And so what I hope to do is not confuse you about worship or for you to think, what is this guy doing just bagging on worship? I just want to help bring in the context of what we read here in these 12 verses, kind of a new perspective into worship. And I just pray that that will uh, encourage you guys and then that you will, you will see that in your corporate worship and even your personal worship, it will go deeper and better. Okay? couple verses I want to share with you initially. <clears throat> One of the, the first time that the word worship is mentioned in the Bible, does anybody know where that is? Genesis chapter 22. It's in the story of, uh, with Isaac and Abraham. When Abraham has to sacrifice, is asked to sacrifice his son. Genesis 22, 5. Abraham says to the young man, when it comes time for Abraham to take Isaac to go up to the mountain to sacrifice him, he says to his, young man, to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. When I first heard that and I thought, wow, what, 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 we're going to go worship and I'm going to go kill my son and we're, then I'm going to come back to you. But it, it, there's so much more in that story and, and, and Abraham believing that the Lord was doing something more through his son who was, who, um, through the promise that he had given him. But he recognized this as worship. I and the boy will go over there and worship and then we'll come back to you again. Romans 12.1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual worship. So two verses that don't say anything about music or singing or instruments. Both of these imply sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here in 2 Kings, these guys are messed up. Read chapter 17. Have you guys read that yet in this program that you're reading or something? Listen to this. 2 Kings 17. You can flip over if you want. 16 and 17. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. This is the nation of Israel. They abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven. And they served Bel. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. And used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Yeah, I think God would be a little angry by this. This was their form of worship. They had strayed so far from the commandments of God, from obeying God, to the point where, and they abandoned all of his commandments. And they're worshiping these things that they made. And then, 
they start burning their kids. That is messed up. And divination and omens. Uh, in, my, in my personal devotion plan, I'm, I'm doing this reading program through the Bible. And the other day I was reading through, um, you know, in Exodus, the, the, the nation coming out. And um, where, you know, Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, interceding, hearing from God. And the nation of Israel is like, eh, we're tired. He's not coming back. Aaron, make us a God that we can worship. And they build the golden calf, and they get into this crazy, crazy worship of this idol. This was not the type of worship that God was seeking. This was not the type of surrender and sacrifice and obedience that he desired. And thankfully, we see, we see here a young man, 25 years old, who says enough is enough. We need to get back to pure worship. We need to get back to following our God. We need to get back to obeying his commandments. Now, here's what's key. Do you see anything in those verses where Hezekiah comes in and he says, guys, listen, man, we, we, we have messed up a lot. Grab your guitars and flutes and bongos, and we're, we're getting around a campfire, and we are going to worship we are going to sing songs, and we are going to praise the Lord in hopes that uh, he forgives us and things go well. He doesn't do that. Instead of grabbing a guitar, he basically is like, grab a sword, grab a weapon, we're going to work. And let's look at this again. Look at some of the things that they do here. He removed the high places, broke down the pillars, cut down the Asherah. Broke down in the pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. You guys understand the significance of this? This was made to save them. The very thing that years, years before, the very thing that God told Moses to do to save those that would look up to it, that became uh, an, an idol and an aspect of worship that was, was not good, and so it was destroyed. And that's crazy because that shows us that even in worship, even in church, even in our lives, there are so many things that can become and turn into idols and relics. I'll never forget um, John Corson. He shared at a conference years and years ago. We were at this, this pastors and leaders conference. And he was talking about worship. And he said, be careful that you don't worship worship. Be careful that you don't worship worship. In other words, he was saying, be careful that worship as in this doesn't become an idol. And that our focus is, is on uh, that we lose sight of what worship is all about. And so Hezekiah, he's wasting no time. He's breaking stuff. He's shattering stuff. Uh, verse 5, he, he trusts in the Lord, the God of Israel, that there, was, that there was none other like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Then we see here this list of, of this young man. 
this incredible list. Five things. First of all, it said that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. It said he trusted in the Lord. It says that he held fast to the Lord. It says that he did not, in verse 6, he did not depart from following the Lord. And then it says that he kept the commandments of the Lord. It doesn't say that he sang, and he was a really good guitar player. He was a really good musician. Uh, it, he, he, he was focused on the main things, doing what was right in the sight, trusting in the Lord, holding fast to the Lord, not departing from the Lord, keeping the commandments of the Lord, the very thing that the Israelites had lost. And as a result of that, the Lord allowed them to be taken into captivity. Listen, what was it that made Hezekiah, this young man, this 25-year-old, what was it that made him so unique? What was it that made him set apart? What was it that made him, as it says in verse 5, look, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. What set him apart? What made this man so unique? What made him a king unlike any other? Well, if we want to talk in, the, in regards to the area of worship, it had nothing to do with the music side of worship. But it had everything to do with his faithfulness and his commitment to the Lord. It was because he did what was right in his sight, because he trusted in the Lord, because he held fast to the Lord, because he did not depart from the Lord, and because he kept the commandments of the Lord. And so how does that pertain, and how do, how do, we, how do we tie that in to when we are singing and we are doing corporate worship? Because we're going to sing here again in a little bit. Well, listen. What it does, first of all, hopefully we're singing songs that speak of biblical truths. That we're singing songs not because it's the most popular song out there. Daniel and I, we were talking a lot as we were driving from Coastal Chapel. Man, those, those guys have some happening worship there. It was just two dudes, a drummer and a piano player. It was like volume 15. It was incredible. We were up there, get up, get up, get up. And, you know, people are just dancing and getting up and, and go, just going for it. Man, it was great. And, and then we were ushered into the presence of the Lord. As, it's just the piano's playing and we're singing. And, oh, man, it was incredible. And so Daniel and I, we were, we were saying, hey, have you heard this song? What do you think? That we, we were talking about songs. We were talking about songs in regards to some that, that churches are singing, and, and, and it's like this doesn't really make sense uh, lyrically and scripturally, and, and yet we're, we're using them these as, their, as these anthems and these declarations and these incredible songs that everybody wants to sing. Listen, it is not about singing um, what sounds best. 
I'm a bit of an old school guy when it comes to worship. I love the hymns. I taught a worship class so, for uh, many years at our church, and I cannot tell you how many times I got into conversations with people who thought of how incredibly boring hymns are. And I would give them a book. I would encourage you guys, you want your world rocked a little bit? And any of you that think maybe hymns are, eh, there's a book uh, by, uh, um, gosh, what is the author? Robert Morgan, I believe. Um, then Sings My Soul. It has, has anybody read that? It has all of the modern day, all of the hymns. It has that written out. And then it has the story of what birthed those songs. Listen, those hymns were not birthed in a, in a writing session of Christian artists. And again, please understand me, I'm not knocking that. I think it's great when, when people get together and, and they look to write a new song. But the, these guys that wrote the hymns, they're not sitting in, in a room drinking coffee and saying, hey, what would be a really cool then sings my soul. Oh, yeah, man, that's a cool thing. Yeah, let's get that down on paper. You read this book, you will weep, you will be moved, and you will not look at hymns the way, did you know Jesus um, loves me is a hymn? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's more than just that part. It's a hymn. It is unbelievable. These songs that were birthed from desperation, from brokenness, that is why I think, men, hymns can be so powerful. Um, listen to one more verse, Psalm 139, because I think we talked about things that need to take place in our lives before worship takes place. One of my favorite verses in the psalm, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way or any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. You know, for me, oftentimes uh, when I do worship, when I'm at a church, or I, I like being in the back for worship. Because there's times when I'm not even singing because I'm just trying to process the words that I am seeing up there. And it, it has become incredibly emotional for me because I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at words and hopefully they're words just declaring truths, declaring who our Lord is. Uh, and so some people, want, I had one student, they asked me in class, they're like, so this is a worship class. Are you, like, encouraging us to not worship anymore? And I was like, no. But you know what? It might not be a bad idea when we're singing a song to maybe just listen to what is being sung and let the words um, just pour over you versus just getting right in to the song. So I hope this makes sense to you guys. I hope that you're tracking with me. You see, again, if someone would read 
these 12 verses and they would say, this has nothing to do with worship. And I would say the opposite. This has everything to do with worship. Because he did what was the most important thing. He, he got rid of what was needed to be rid of and idols and relics. And that was needed to be cleansed and to be taken out and then to plead for forgiveness from God. Lord, forgive us. That's what it's talking about here. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Search my heart. Try me. Know me. See, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. I love um, doing worship songs. Uh, we're taking communion, right? Okay, because there's communion stuff. Oftentimes with, with communion, man, to me, communion is so powerful. Obviously, you are reflecting on what the ultimate sacrifice of what Jesus did. And for me, um, a lot of times I don't end up singing during communion, or it's that time of just seeking, like, your inner soul, looking inside and basically saying, Lord, what do I need to break down? What do I need to tear down? What has become an idol in me? And I think, you know, communion, we, we won't get into that. That's for, that's for another message. I think communion is also another uh, misinterpreted, misunderstood thing. We think it's just a part of a service, and so we go and we, we do a Bible study, and, oh, it's first Sunday of the month, it's Potluck Sunday, so it's Communion Sunday, and we hear a message, we sing a song, and then we take the elements, and then we leave. The whole point, do this in what? What does it say? In remembrance of me. Thinking, remembering. Going back to, here I am to worship. God, I will never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. The very reason why we're taking communion. And so, Lord, because of that, because of that forgiveness, because of that blood, because of what you did, here I am to worship you. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether worthy. You're altogether wonderful. You are lovely to me. You see what that does? You see how it just tweaks things a little bit? To where we realize, okay, Lord, I'm going to do some house cleaning. I'm going to do some surrendering. I'm going to do maybe a little destroying and destructing like Hezekiah did. So that I can worship you with a clear mind and clear eyes. And so that I can remember and declare who you are. So, Lord, we want that. You are our cornerstone. 
Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in your love. Or what powerful words. And so we don't want to just sing this song. We want to declare this. We want to pray this. And reveal to us during this time, right now, every person in here, you see our hearts, you see our minds, you see the things and the business that needs to take place. Lord, do not let us leave this place without coming before you and allowing you to do what needs to take place in our hearts. If that's breaking, if that's surrendering, if that's letting go, if that's repenting, if that's crying, whatever it might be, use this time by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.